0: Love, talk radio Hi everyone, and welcome to the holistic Health Hour with Me, professional holistic life Strategies coach, Aleka Thorlton. And this unique and inspiring show allows us to look at our lives in a whole new way, tuning into our health our wellness and happiness from a mind, body, spirit, and soul perspective, and it is my intention to create a new kind of dialogue about our health, about our bodies, about our relationships, and about our lives, empowering transformation from the inside out. So, Welcome to part three of the Food, Feelings, and Finding Freedom series. Um, if you want to listen to part one or part two, you can go to my website and look under the Media, the media tab. All my shows are archived there. You can also go to Blog Talk Radio, Mind, Body, Spirit, you, and all of our shows are archived there as well. As always, I want to thank you for your responses and your questions. I believe I got back to everyone that wrote to me or reached out to me personally. But I want to answer a question here that was raised a couple times, Um, and that is, yes, I do take on clients. I, I have a private coaching practice in Charleston, South Carolina, and, yes, I also take clients on that don't live here. So no matter where you live, if you would like to work with me, that's entirely possible. In fact, all of my in-person sessions are pretty much booked at this point for the next few months, but certainly can take on clients over the phone. I have a couple days a week that I do that, and I do have more openings available that way. So we can do phone or Skype or Google Chat, anything that works for you. So no matter where you live, yes, I can take on um, private, private coaching clients. I do have many clients all over the world, which is pretty fun. I actually love working with clients from everywhere. It makes um, my practice so interesting. So I also offer classes and coaching groups and things like that. And if you would like to stay abreast of all the the current and future happenings that I'm going to be putting on, the the best way to do that is via Facebook, um, Aloha Healing Arts. You can also go to my website, alecasky.com and you can sign up. There's a little newsletter sign up tab there. Fill that out, and I I do add you to my mailing list. And I haven't really been sending out all that much stuff because I've been doing so much private work. I haven't been doing a lot of classes. But I am planning on doing more and more. So if you want to sign up for that, you can just go to my website, sign up, and I, I really just use it for you know, newsletters to, to send out to everybody what I'm up to. Okay, um, so let's just dive right in because there's a lot to cover today. And you know that in this whole series, we've really looked at weight, food, and body image issues from a holistic mind, body, spirit, soul perspective, right? Today we are going to really focus on the truth that who we are when we are eating is as important as what we are eating. In other words, we are really going to link how our mind affects our body. And I think this is one of the most important aspects and probably the missing link in the quest to find real balance with food and with our bodies. Because we know from a holistic perspective, and really I think you know, even modern science is really backing this up now, that we are so much more than our physicality, right? We are so much more than just calories in, calories out. And if you are confused why, you know, maybe you've tried this paradigm where you've tried to reduce calories, you've increased your exercise, and yet, you're struggling to release weight. You know, why is it that we can seem to gain weight merely thinking about food? Why is this so tough, even when we're trying so hard? Well, I want to first reassure you that you are not alone here. I really witnessed this this process in the beginning of my my practice when I was working as a nutritional consultant. Because clients would hand me their food diaries and I would add up calories, fat, different nutrients, and I would see where they were, how much calories they were eating, how much weight they should be losing, that kind of thing. And it was so interesting to me how those numbers really varied. And calories in, calories out really didn't apply. There was absolutely another factor. And I didn't know what that factor was at the time. I do now. But at the time, I was just confused because this is what I was taught. And, yes, um, you know, I, it, it, was, it wasn't strictly numbers. So it must have been something else. It seemed that the formula I was taught wasn't working. People with the same calorie intakes, with similar metabolisms, so accounting for gender, weight, age, with the same exercise had a vastly different experience with weight loss. Why was that? And I also worked with people that were trying to gain weight, so people with eating disorders, anorexia, or bulimia, and it was the same there too. They should have been gaining more weight than they were. Why was that? So this is when I began to, to really ascertain that finding balance with our body weight, with, our, with food, might have other factors at play. And this really spurred a quest for me to figure out what was going on. So that's what I did, and I've I, I learned many, many different modalities and ways of, of looking at our bodies from a more holistic perspective that started to really attune me to understanding this from a deeper level. Then I had the opportunity to attend a food psychology coaching certification taught by a man named Mark David, whose food psychology coaching um, who's kind of the father of food psychology coaching. And he has subsequently gone on. I, I met him early on in, in the career, but he has subsequently gone on to create the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, which I highly recommend you check out if you're interested in this. He really is the person that has so much wisdom around this mind-body connection. It's it's staggering. He also has written a few books that I highly recommend. So you can go to his website, Institute for the Psychology of Eating, and check out all that he offers. I know he does um, certifications, and he has tons of information on his website. So I I really want to give credit where credit is due. And much of this information that I'm gonna be giving you today and much of the science I got from him. The other part I think that's really important to looking at this mind-body connection and this missing link is the work that I've done studying quantum physics and just how we create our reality. How does that work? So both of these premises really describe how what we think and who we are really affects what we experience in our world. For, and this is a real holistic perspective, obviously. And I love it when science backs up what we've always known, that our mind matters, what we think matters. And so today we're gonna to focus a little bit more on the science, um, food psychology science, rather than focus on the quantum physics stuff. We're gonna be doing that probably when I talk about beliefs in the next show. So we know that for lasting change to occur, we really need to shift from the inside out. I've said that all the time. As such, when we eat, and really we can apply this to our life in general, when we eat, when we live, we bring our whole selves, with us, W-H-O-L-E, all of the facets of who we are. We bring our stories, we bring in our, our feelings, we bring our beliefs, we bring all of us to the table. So how we eat, who we are when we are eating, and what is showing up in our whole selves influence the chemistry of our bodies in a really profound way. And that's what I'm going to focus on today. So let me give you an example about how this works. Let's take stress, something we are all familiar with, I think, um, especially if we live in the the current American culture. Some of us are more familiar with stress than others because certainly um, the way that we live our lives determines how we process stress. Now stress, by definition, is simply our response to a situation that is real or imagined. So, you, you may already be aware of some effects that stress has on your body, but it may surprise you just how it affects your digestion, your metabolism specifically. And remember, stress is defined, right, is our response to a threat real or imagined, and that's important, and it affects us. So what does it do? Quite simply, stress turns off digestion. Why does it do that? Well, one reason is because stress arouses the sympathetic nervous system. So this is the part of our nervous system that is our our fight, flight, or freeze response. This is the primitive part of our nervous system whose primary job is to keep us alive, keep us safe. So, any stress in our lives that show up can turn on this fight, flight, or freeze response. That's that's its job to, oh no, there's a threat, turn it on so we can survive. So, obviously, stress and a threat to us is way more important than our digestion. So, in this response, our bodies literally turn off digestion because it has to deal with more pressing matters like whatever stress or threat is out there. So survival is more important than metabolism at that point, which is true. And it's important because we've, we've, we've evolved that way. So simply stress turns on, digestion turns off. Now, implied in this definition is the idea that our stress response is based on our perception of an event, and more more importantly, that the event does not even need to be actually happening to evoke a stressful response. Think about that. This part of our psyche does not differentiate between a real or imagined threat. So for a moment, just track all the thoughts and worries that run through your mind, causing this low hum of a stress response. We have to ask ourselves, how often are we really eating under stress? How often are we eating and we're, we're in a really challenging life circumstance, a so work or a relationship? causing us to to feel worry, stress, um, frustration, anxiety, fear. How often do we eat on the run, in our cars, while we're doing a million other things? Because that's stressful. And if you have an issue with food or weight, then you are likely judging or shaming yourself playing those old critical tapes. That's stressful. This part of our psyche cannot tell the difference between you saying it to yourself and someone else saying it to you. How about frantically counting how many calories you just consumed or deciding that you are officially uh, the worst person because you cannot get this issue dealt with once and for all? Those are stressful thoughts and they cause stress reactions in our bodies. How about berating ourselves because we're in a sea of guilt because we ate the very thing that we said we wouldn't eat. Or maybe feeling resentment or frustration and boredom as we reach for another rice cake while secretly longing for French fries. That's stressful too. So. The number one thing I want you to hear right now from this is stress turns off digestion, and that turns off metabolism, and that has a profound effect on how our body handles weight. So let me give you a few examples, a few. In one of Mark David's books, I remember it was two pages of examples of how stress, and there's probably more, how stress, sympathetic nervous response, works in our body in relation to digestion and metabolism, really illuminating this mind-body connection. And it's specifically about our weight. So stress decreases enzyme production in the stomach, pancreas, and liver. It also decreases bioflow from the liver, which causes a decrease in nutrient absorption. This is important because if we don't get the nutrients absorbed into our body, our body thinks we're still hungry. It thinks it still needs it. Stress increases nutrient excretion, especially calcium, potassium, zinc, chromium, and selenium. This isn't good. We want to keep these things in our bodies so we feel satiated and our cells can, can function optimally. Stress increases serum triglycerides and blood cholesterol, and specifically the more harmful LDL kind. Yeah, we don't want that one. The HDL, good cholesterol, LDL, not so good. So stress increases the bad one. Stress increases cortisol levels. This is huge, by the way, as far as with, when we look at the dance with weight. Um, cortis- high cortisol levels are really associated with weight gain, especially around the middle of the body. And high cortisol levels are also associated with a decreased ability to build muscle or release weight. Cortisol literally tells your body, hold on to weight. So we don't want really high cortisol levels, and stress does that it increases them. Stress decreases the gut flora population, so the, the, the awesome bacteria that we have in our um, intestines and in our digestive tract, which is vital for not only healthy digestion but a healthy immune system. So now we actually see how stress and immunity go hand in hand, just one small aspect of that. Stress decreases our blood oxygen percentage, which is vital um, ingredient for optimal metabolism. Something that we're going to be talking about is the role between oxygen and metabolism. If you think about your metabolism is like a fire and it needs oxygen to flourish, some parts of our digestive tract actually utilize more oxygen than anywhere else in our body. So oxygen is hugely important for an efficiently running metabolism. And stress decreases this, oxygen. Stress decreases growth and thyroid hormones, which are two very, very important hormones because they have the job of defining our muscle-to-fat ratio and overall metabolism. For us to burn food efficiently and for us to release weight efficiently. We want to have a really stoked and, and um, balanced metabolism, and stress wreaks havoc on that. It slows it way down and makes it run much less efficiently, sort of like if you imagine having a car that's really, really low on gas and it's kind of put, put, puttering and, and it can't move very quickly. When we our metabolism is very slow, we have a tendency to hold on to weight and not to release it. So important to recognize that that stress can really affect the hormones that really regulate our metabolism. Stress also increases insulin resistance, which is huge. We know this is a huge factor in diabetes, weight gain, heart disease, and overall aging. So we don't want that. Stress increases inflammation throughout the body, and something that we know um, a, a more recently, when we're studying most g- degenerative diseases, is inflammation is a huge part of it, and stress is, is a significant um, aspect that increases inflammation throughout the body. Now we're looking at certainly weight, you know, when as far as. Um, Inflammation goes. But it's also associated with allergies, immune disorders, I said degenerative diseases, heart disease, um, pain, arthritis, these kinds of things. So I think, and those are just a few, and it does a whole lot more. So just a little bit of the science behind why who we are when we are eating is vitally important how our body regulates our weight and metabolizes our food. I think it's interesting to note that we tend to be the most stressful nation in the world. And we also have the highest rates of obesity, heart disease, and diabetes. Interesting. Now certainly, I'm not saying that food doesn't have a play in this somewhere. Of course it does. But I'm just saying it's not the whole equation. So who you are when you are eating matters, and it matters a lot. When we're, in a, when we're eating food and we're stressed, it can certainly effectively keep us from finding real balance with our weight. By having a, it has a real effect on our digestion, metabolism, and overall health. So now what do we do? What do we do about this? Um, I know you guys have written to me and said, give me the how-to, just tell me how to fix it. I'm right there with you. It, It has to be noted that there's another part of our nervous system, and this is called the parasympathetic nervous system. And this is our relaxation response. So what's interesting is while the sympathetic nervous system turns off digestion, the parasympathetic nervous system turns it back on. So if we want optimum digestion and metabolism, then we want to learn how to eat with our parasympathetic nervous system turned on and our sympathetic nervous system turned off. So when we are relaxed, when we eat, we literally turn on digestion and our metabolism is recharged, which equates to better processing of our food, more energy, vitality, less stored fat. And I'll tell you an example of this, so this is a great one I got from Mark David's book, is when we go on vacation, one in about one in five people say that on vacation, even though they have eaten more, they have either lost or maintained their weight. Why is that? Because often we're on vacation, we may not be doing more. We may actually be chilling out, exercise-wise, and eating more. Well, on vacation, we do something that might be new for us. We simply relax. We let loose. We have fun. We let go of rules and we start eating from that place. And our body reflects that. Our metabolism reflects that. So one very simple and easy way to stimulate this parasympathetic nervous response is through breath. So what we can do to Stimulate this part of our, of our nervous system is before we eat, actually anytime you want throughout the day, but take five deep breaths. So especially before you eat, just make a commitment to yourself. Before you eat, get still, put your feet squarely on the floor, straighten your back, and inhale and exhale deeply five times. That's it one of the most profound changes that you can make in your life around your metabolism and how you digest food. And I I said that I also mentioned earlier how breath is so important and oxygen is so important to our digestive tract. Right? Metabolism being like a fire. So not only is breath important because it puts us into that parasympathetic nervous response, but it helps us fuel that fire, that internal fire or life force or metabolism that helps us burn our food more efficiently. So something as simple as just being aware of our breath and trying to breathe more often, especially before we eat and even as we're eating, can create significant changes in our, in our bodies, in our, in our lives, and The other part of that is to, I, I don't want to negate this, but its it might be a show all in of itself, is to learn how to effectively heal our stress in our lives so we are not routinely experiencing it and then eating either because of it to alleviate it in some way. A lot of times stress is the reason why we eat in the first place. It's a way to self-medicate or numb or attempt to soothe uncomfortable feelings. So. Doing the things that we need to do to help alleviate the stress in general, and that's the inner critic work, it's shadow work, it's stuff that I've talked about in the past for sure. you know we're we're really meant to live our lives in a relaxed state with moments of stress. But the way that we're we're evolving, it seems, and certainly the way that we seem to live now in our modern culture is that we live with most of us leading mostly stressful lives with moments of calm. And it's interesting that our bodies really reflect that. So another way to, you know, we're talking about stress here, taking some deep breaths, working on the deeper issues causing stress. And then three, let's just take away all stress around food and I said this in the last show about, you know, stop dieting, legalizing our food. That's really important. Food is not the enemy and it is not our savior either. So making a conscious choice to do away with good foods, bad foods, all that labeling we do, is really important. Because every time we eat a bad food, we're eating under stress. Food is just food. We know that controlling and denying and managing ourselves leads to stress and it's not effective. In fact, it just makes us want more of it. We know that from the diet show, the first show I did, No More Diets. And we also know that it it turns off our digestion. So as long as we think that food has the ability to define our day, define our worth, define our lives, We're gonna be distracted from the real issues we are being called to heal, which is what really healing is all about. So can we just end the war with food? The more time we spend on judgments and blame and and, um, beating ourselves up, the more detached we are from our worthiness on the inside and the more this imbalance shows up on the outside. It causes immense amounts of stress on the inside, and our bodies reflect it. And I'm not saying that this is easy. I wanna put this out there right now. If you have issues with your weight and your body, this is a step that you probably need some support or help around. To just let go, right, it's easy to say that, well, just let go of food labels, let go of your attachment to food. I get it, I'm saying it, because in theory it's true, but to get there it might take some support and some help because these are old stories. In fact, there might be a simultaneous feeling for you when I say let go of good and bad foods, let go of labels, where you feel both relieved and terrified by this suggestion or even confused about what that even looks like. You might feel relieved that someone is finally telling you to honor yourself and validating something you have instinctively known. Or maybe you're, you're, you're saying to me what many of my clients have said, "Alecca, I have been eating what I've wanted and that is the whole problem, that's why I'm so fat. Right? Let me speak to this right now because I've, I hear it all the time. Nobody has ever experienced food obsession or an eating disorder because they ate when they were hungry and stopped when they had eaten enough according to their innate hunger cues. We over or under eat because we are not listening, trusting, or loving ourselves to make loving food choices. And we say this, you need to learn how to eat intuitively. And that's true, but I want to back it up with some science because you actually have the best nutritionist there is within you. And science confirms it. It's called the enteric nervous system, the ENS. And it contains over 100 million neurons, which is even more than the spine. And it is really active, sending tons of information to the brain. In fact, it sends more to the brain than the brain sends to it. So what does that mean? It means our digestive tract is literally lined with cells that produce some of the same chemicals as the brain, chemicals like endorphins. So this area within us, this is literally the location of our innate and intuitive hunger and the wisdom that it holds. So there is a tremendous amount of knowing that goes untapped when we lose touch and we lose trust with that part of us, and that's what happens when we have issues with eating. We lose touch with this innate wisdom that tells us exactly what we would need to eat when we're hungry, when we're full, what foods work best for us. So healing, in essence, is really always it- It's really all about getting back in touch with that part of us. It's about removing all the blocks that we have built and all the habits that we have formed against accessing that place within us. Interesting, isn't it? Now, along those same lines, you know, recognizing that needing some support or help through this process is, is something that I want to highlight. Because certainly if we haven't eaten this way from this intuitive place, we may not know what that looks like. And we, it might cause a tremendous amount of fear or being out of control. And that's why doing this step by step and slowly, which is, is, is way more than I could talk about here today, exactly how we do that, but it's, it's really helpful to doing those small steps to help us get back in touch with that part of us. One of those small steps I do want to highlight here, actually a couple of those, how to get back in touch with that inner wisdom. And I also want to, to talk about how these next few steps not only do that, but also help us with that mind-body connection who we are when we are eating. And the first tool there is awareness. People with food issues tend to be not very aware of their bodies. They they tend to be pretty out of touch with their bodies, but also with food, how it affects them, hunger and satiation signals, right? So awareness is one of the first steps to getting back in tune. And awareness is a huge part of healthy digestion and metabolism. I think in Mark David's book, he calls it vitamin A, which I love. Because awareness does help us begin to get back in touch with this innate wisdom that tells us what to eat, when to eat, and when to stop. And this is really contrary to the typical diet advice where diet eating is led by the mind and not the body. And that's why it never really works because our bodies have cycles, and they have rhythms, and our hunger changes from day to day, from stage to stage in our life, as does what we're hungry for. So our job, and using awareness helps us do that, is to become aware of hunger, as aware of satiation, become aware of and honor our desire for the type of food we want, and then how much to eat. Now, awareness is that ability to step outside ourselves and begin to notice. There's lots of aspects to developing awareness, and perhaps I'll do more shows on that, but awareness is key. And some science that's fun. My my nerdiness is showing up. I do love science. Um, Scientists are now concluding, and listen to this, as much as 30 to 40% of our total digestive response depends on how aware we are of what we are eating. That's huge. That's the missing link right there to the guide equation. So what does that mean? It means to really feel satiated. We have to experience our food. Remember, so that, that brain in our belly, that ENS, can send the message to our head brain that we have actually eaten something. There's also chemical and, me- and mechanical receptors on the tongue and nasal cavities that are stimulated by acknowledging what we are eating. So this is smelling it, tasting it, noticing its texture. Awareness, just looking at a food and our body it, it begins to know what enzymes it needs to secrete and to increase blood flow to our digestive tract. You ever look at something and your mouth starts to water? Okay, this is where awareness comes into play. There have been numerous studies to support this, this fact that indicating that absorption is greatly reduced when test subjects are distracted or when they're doing something else when they're eating. And let me just say, how often are we distracted from when we're eating? We have to experience our meal fully, taste, aroma, and pleasure, talk about that in a minute, to feel satiated. Otherwise we don't get the cues that we've, we've eaten and we still are hungry. Another aspect of this is time. Awareness and time go hand in hand because it can take up to 20 minutes for our, our, our ENS, our belly brain, to give the signal to our head that we have eaten enough and if we have food or weight issues it can be a little bit longer. So, Time is really important, giving ourselves the ability to be aware and the plenty of time to eat, which is so different than how we often eat. We feel like we just wolf it down and we don't really allow ourselves to have any real time. We gotta do it quick. And when we study other cultures that actually take time and that they they appreciate their food in different ways, we can really see where this difference shows up in their metabolism and digestion. Starting to see the the correlations here? So eating without awareness is like flying a plane without instruments. We would take off and just hope we end up there. If we lack awareness, we lack connection to that inner wisdom that can tell us exactly how to find food, I'm sorry, to find balance with our food and our weight. We each have a natural set point, a place where our body thrives and really just settles and wants to be. And with awareness, we can begin to get back there. Besides awareness being vital for a healthy digestion and a healthy metabolism. So two ways that awareness is so important. So what's the prescription here? Well, when we eat, can we just be present to the experience of eating? Sounds simple. So when you eat, eat. Not so simple though if you have food obsession or issues with your weight. It, it, it's not easy. One of the things I often suggest, and this is a Janine Roth thing too, she has those guidelines for eating, and one of those things is eat without distraction. That's, that's a challenge. I mean, think about that right now. So no TV, no reading, just eating with you and your food present, tasting it. If you have weight or food issues, this can be quite triggering because you can be quite disconnected from yourself and this can be pretty uncomfortable because it's a habit that you haven't been applying. You may be pretty used to eating without awareness and maybe from habit or in response to a certain feeling. And I often hear this, that many people with food or weight issues believe that they have a willpower problem when it comes to food, that they, are, they think if they were only strong enough or more determined or tried another plan or diet, then they could fix this issue. I want to propose that I think that there might be awareness deficiency, not a deficiency of willpower. Have you ever eaten a whole bag of potato chips while watching TV? And have that sort of time lapse where, where your 20 minutes go by you know, and you've eaten the whole bag and you just don't even know where you were? And what's shocking about that is you'll probably still be hungry. Why? because you're lacking vitamin A. You haven't, you're not aware of eating. So this is another example of just how important, how we're eating is as important as what we're eating. To highlight this further, let's talk about pleasure, enjoyment, how many of you really enjoy what you eat? And eat what you enjoy. Because pleasure is also essential for an efficient digestion and metabolism. Now, if you are listening to this podcast, you probably have had the experience of eating a meal you should, quote, air quotes there, like diet food. You probably had the experience of eating a meal you should eat, but you didn't really enjoy. And then what happened? you were still hungry afterwards because you have, and and why, because you have now understood why pleasure and satiation are linked. Because if you're not eating what you actually want to eat, you're not gonna get the messages from your belly brain to your head brain that you've eaten anything. It's kind of like awareness. When we experience pleasure, when we enjoy what we're eating, Our ENS secretes messengers in the form of hormones, which tells our head brain, we're good. We ate it, it was yummy. So when we leave pleasure out of the food equation, our brain does not get the message that we have eaten and we find ourselves wanting more. So there was this really, I want to back it up with some science here, really cool study, cited again in one of Mark David's books, um, where scientists measured the absorption rates of iron so this is going to be an indication of digestion, how well we're absorbing our, our food and then how our, efficient our digestion is and then how um, how our metabolism is in response. So he the, the, he cited this study where he measured the absorption rates of iron from two very different groups of women. And I actually went and looked this study up just, just to get more information on it. So it's a really cool study. But they took a group of Swedish women and they gave them Thai food and then they gave the Thai women, so two groups of women, Swedish and Thai, and then they gave the Thai women Swedish food. Now both meals contained the same amount of iron, yet each group only absorbed half as much iron as when they ate the meal from the country they were from originally. So isn't that interesting? So when the Swedish women ate Swedish food, they absorbed a a significant amount of iron. Thai women ate Thai food, they absorbed a significant amount of iron. When they switched it, They absorbed half. Well, the premise, of course, is that Thai women do not like Swedish food and vice versa. They didn't find pleasure in it. So this fact, lacking pleasure, lacking vitamin P, dramatically affected their nutrient absorption, which has a profound effect on metabolism. Oh, and then they took it one step further, and they separated the Thai women into two groups. And one, of the th- one was given the original Thai meal, and then the other was given the meal after it had been blended in a blender. Yeah, gross, right? As you can imagine, this affected pleasure dramatically, of course. Who wants a Thai smoothie? And the woman with the Thai smoothie absorbed 70% less iron. That's hugely significant, 70% less iron. So what's the bottom line? The bottom line for optimum metabolism and digestion, we must enjoy, find pleasure in what we eat. Now, people with food issues or eating disorders, this can be a big challenge because their relationship with food has usually gotten to the place where they really don't enjoy it much. It's it's not a loving one. It's really more like war or resentment, and I I really want to highlight this point because many people that come into my office say, well, no, Aleka, I, I love food. That's the problem, and I want to say that you may think you love food, but I would check that because if you have food, weight, or body image issues, I would suggest that your relationship with food is far from loving and closer to obsession or addiction because why we're asking food? or using food to fill a hunger that it never can fill. We're asking an external thing to make us feel somehow better about something we feel inside. This is the concept I may tackle at a later show because there's, there's a lot to it. The, the concept of, is our relationship with food really loving? And how to make it so? Because truthfully, having a loving relationship with food and our bodies really is the basis of all recovery. Healing your relationship with your body and your weight means learning how to have a real loving relationship with it. Probably something that you're struggling with if you have food or weight issues. But learning how to love what you eat and really allow yourself to eat what you truly feel good about. Because if you go and eat, an entire Big Mac meal, does that feel good to you? Is that loving to you? Those are the questions that we want to ask. Because I know there might be a part of you, which is the eating disorder part, that says, hell yeah. But when we access that deeper part of you, what does it say? So This is something that, while We can talk about creating a loving relationship with food from many angles. This is one of the angles. Can you allow yourself to eat what you truly love? And if you can't, can you get some help to figure out why that's so? Now, I mentioned earlier that I brought in the concept of quantum physics. You know, and how what we believe affects ourselves and our world. And that if we con- continually condemn or, or judge or label our food and ourselves, ourselves pay attention. This is that mind-body connection that is more from an energetic studying the, the dynamics of energy, which quantum physics does, rather than just the physicality aspect. And what is it? Is it which comes first? You know, does, do we judge ourselves, condemn ourselves, and then it changes the chemistry of our body? Probably, we're seeing that. But we need to really look at how we talk about ourselves, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the way we metabolize food. That's always very important. Oftentimes, I'll have people come into the office that have no weight issues, and maybe I'm seeing them for something else. They have a, a, life, a contract of, of learning about relationships, but the, the weight's fine, you know? Um, and they, they, they will even tell me, you know, if we talk about weight, they'll say, you know, I just have, I can eat whatever I want. It goes right through me, you know, and then I'll have meet with someone who um, has weight issues and they will say, are you kidding me? I can just think about food and all of a sudden I have more weight on my hips and we actually know there's science behind that that what we think about food it can actually change our chemistry in our body so there's some science there but there also is that that quantum level of belief what we believe we create so if we try to manage control minimize or deny ourselves food ourselves hear that what we believe about ourselves matters and what we say to ourselves matters Today we revealed some of the new science that validates this important mind-body and more holistic link. And next week I'm going to tackle the more energetic aspects um, using this concept of belief and how what we believe affects our reality and just how that relates to food and our bodies. So I hope that Some of the information I gave you today was relevant on your path of understanding and for working on and healing this particular issue in your life. You know that I welcome feedback, and I appreciate all the feedback that I get. Please feel free to contact me at www.alekasky.com. Certainly you can go check out more of Mark David's stuff. He's an awesome guy, and I just want to, you know, give him a huge shout-out for all of his research um, on how the mind really affects the body. And I hope you got some good tips to take forward today so you can utilize some of this new science. Before I leave, I want to ask you a few questions that you can sit with that might reveal more to you about the mind-body connection that you have around food. So what kind of eater are you? Do you eat more when you are stressed? Do you eat in general when you're stressed? Do you sit down? You know, are you eating on the run? Do you eat the kinds of foods that you enjoy or do you eat from a place of this is what I have to eat? And do you notice a difference in satiation when you really love a food or pay attention to a food and when you perhaps don't? So what kind of eating patterns do you have? You know, Do you eat more at a certain time of day or in certain situations? And how about the concept of good foods, bad foods? How do you feel to let go of that understanding? No good foods, no bad foods. Thank you all for listening, as always, and I will say it again that I do um, love to hear from you, so if you have questions that you want me to tackle in this series, please send them along. I have so much data on this, and in my e-courses I go into more depth. I'm obviously not going to do that here. I'm sort of skimming the surface. But if you do want me to go deeper into a particular subject or want me to talk further about something that I'm not going to be talking about um, or I haven't talked about yet, please, please let me know. I would be happy to do so. So stay tuned for part four. We're going to get into more on the energetic aspects of how what we think and believe shows up in our bodies. And until then, take care.